You only need to talk to country-based owners and trainers to realise that the Tab Highway concept has been a runaway winner for racing New South Wales. The scheme met with some opposition when introduced in 2015, but it wasn't long before the Tab Highways captured the imagination of regional horsemen. Early days, trainers like Matt Dunn, Matt Dale, Danny Williams and Terry Robinson dominated the weekly highways, but now there seems to be a different winning trainer every week. For bush owners, the prize money has been a revelation, while punters love the highways as a betting medium. From a media viewpoint, the highways seem to throw up a good story most weeks. The Tab Highways are a key component of the new face of New South Wales racing. This is part two of our podcast with former jockey and Randwick trainer Craig Carmody. Now we profile a riding career that took you to the top level of Australian racing and was the catalyst in your brush with fame as the star of a popular television commercial. <laughs> Mate, I thought that would be forgotten. Not, not with you, John. Not with you. Well, it's a yeah. great story. It's a great it story. It is a good story. Now, well, what, what was the theme of that commercial? John, it was about a young apprentice jockey coming to the city for his first ride and um, unplaced he was, unfortunately, but then he goes back to a, uh, a hotel room and rings his mother on the phone to explain how the day went. Mm. And it was all centred around, back then, telecom. And, um, yeah, it, it ran for three years, that, that ad. And, uh, mm. yeah, it, it uh, still still has um, the remnants of, of uh, many people calling me Beeper. Which was started by, of course, Malcolm Johnston. Who else, John? Who else? Yeah. Well, in yeah, that commercial, Craig, when you rang your mother, uh, you could hear the uh, the old-fashioned STD beep, subscriber trunk dialing. <laughs> it, it, you know, you if could. you ra- rang interstate, you'd hear that funny beep, beep, beep noise, and that, that quickly led uh, to Malcolm's uh, invention of your new nickname, and I think you still get it from time to time. Mate, I'll walk past I'll walk past Darren Beadman or Corey Brown and they still refer to me as Beep. Mm. Which yeah, yeah. So that look it's it's um it's it's a nice nickname anyway. I've been called worse, put it that way. <laughs> I think it was a sixty second commercial and yep. it, but it took a long time to make. It did. Um well, look we there was quite a few of us auditioned for that part because mm. they, they auditioned probably about 10, 10 to 15 riders. You were a shoe-in. And, mate, uh, I, mate, I don't know what it was, but I managed to get the part and, and it took three days to shoot mm. um, in various locations around Sydney. Um, but it was a bit of fun and an insight watching that uh, clapperboard come down. But, uh, mate, look, I was I was pleased to get back on a thoroughbred, to be honest. <laughs> now, I'm sure some of our listeners will want me to ask you this question. Who were some of the other apprentice jockeys that auditioned for the part? Uh, mate, Tracy Bartley was was one of them. Um, I remember Ray Silburn being there. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I think he was being a little bit optimistic, but Tony Marnie went... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Good old um, tone. Yeah, I don't think his audition lasted any more than thirty seconds. 
but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, there was quite a few of us there, but, um, yeah, it was interesting. Now, Tony must have fudged a few years when he gave his age because uh, that was supposed to be the story of um, an apprentice jockey at 15 or 16 years of age. I think Tony was well past that stage. I think he was lured by the dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was lured by the dollar, old time. Yeah. Now, mate, you were born and reared at Ashfield where horses yep. were scarce. You yep. went to Tamworth once on a family outing and yep. somebody put you on a horse. You had no idea what you were doing, but you loved it. Mate, I did. I did. He was a bay stock horse called Cisco, and I remember it vividly. And um, from then on, it just started the um, the interest in horses. And I remember pestering my mother um, in the in the couple of years that followed the last two years of school, because that would have been when I was 12, 12 or thirteen. And um, it just set me on a path to be involved around horses, really. Um, and and mum didn't have any any real interest in racing apart from um, she had a brother that was a regular race goer back then. So Uncle John, um, we pestered Uncle John for a, a, a contact. Uh, and because I was local to Canterbury Racecourse growing up in Asheville, um, he he arranged a meeting with Rod Craig down at Canterbury at his stables, and yeah, the rest is history. I went and met Rod, and um, uh, you know, I, I started working um, on weekends initially, mm. just in the stables, learning about the horses and working working within the stable area, and um, yeah, it was a, a great experience, and it, it just started the interest, and um, yeah, very thankful for those people that helped me back then. Not only were you apprentice to Rod, but he was the trainer of Intergaze and a valued friend to this day. Absolutely. And I remember back in those early years, John, um, uh, he, he, had a, he had a chestnut filly by Red Tony called Lady Eclipse. Mm. And um, it, it was the same year that I started that um, Lady Eclipse won the Champagne Stakes in yep. 1983. Mm. And um, it, it just captivated me and um, I, I just saw the thrill that Rod got out of it and, um, yeah, I was, I was just destined to, to be in the game. When uh, Canterbury was closed by the Sydney Turf Club as a training centre, a number of trainers had to relocate. Some went to Rose Hill, Rod went to Warwick Farm and the rest is history. Now, Craig Carmody's first ride in a race was on the 9th of June 1984 on a horse called Royalism for the astute Harold Riley. Royalism finished 9th of 13, a lacklustre debut, Craig. <laughs> it was. It was. And, and, look, I don't think it was I don't think it was one of my better rides. Um, I, I can remember it being caught wide and ending up, ending up being the widest on the turn at, at Kembla and it came down the outside and improved a couple of lengths and run midfield. So, um, you know, I think uh, Harold Riley was very considerate the way he handled the uh, return to scale. <laughs> and uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a great experience and, um, you know, thankfully it, it got a little better as we went on. Your first winner, fittingly, was for Rod Craig, a horse called Born Red, also at Kembla Grange at your third ride in a race. Now, Craig, I remember old Born Red. What a perfect horse for a green apprentice. 
Oh, definitely, John. He was the perfect horse for me and um, very, very thankful that Rod and, and the owners at the time gave me the opportunity on him because he, he would have started right in the market and I didn't have much experience and I went to the barrier on him and he jumped out and w without really steering, he knew where to put himself. <laughs> mm. He virtually he virtually carried me around um, and, and he found gaps he found gaps over the last three or four hundred meters, and um, and and went away to beat beat a horse called Lord Avon um, down at Kembla that day. And um, I think Lord Avon was ridden by Neil Payne that day. Mm. Yeah. Well, a couple of years later, <clears throat> you were going so well that you were champion apprentice. Nineteen eighty six, eighty seven season, you won the Sydney. Metropolitan Junior Riding Title, great thrill. It was a great thrill, um, and and you know particularly you know being in Sydney and I'd I'd, ru I'd run second to Tracy Bartley the year before, so um, to to bounce back and um, and and win that for myself was a was you know a, a great achievement I thought. Mm, and thirty four city wins too, Craig in the season. That was a pretty tidy total. Yeah, it was it was really good back then. I had some terrific support from um, from Les, and um, I was riding a bit for Tommy Smith at the time. Um, most of the major stables were were utilising my claim, mm. um, and that certainly helped me gather up those numbers. Les Bridge had two strong stayers in the stable in the spring of nineteen eighty seven, and both went right through to the Melbourne Cup of that year. Yep. You rode the Brotherhood and Larry Olsen rode Kenzai in all of their spring engagements. You actually won the Newcastle Cup on the Brotherhood, beating Larry on Kenzai, a bridge quinella. It was. It, I'll remember the day vividly. Um, there, there was a, uh, a fall going out of the straight the first time mm. um, uh, and there was a bit of scrimmage at that point, but I ended up in a really lovely spot and... Um, the Brotherhood gave me a terrific ride and Les had him primed um, and I, I heard Kenzai come thundering down at me late but um, he just slogged it out and managed to um, ward him off the Brotherhood mm. and it, um, it, Mr Purcell who was one of the uh, main owners of the Brotherhood mm. back then, uh, he, he was a real uh, support for me as well and with that horse and he he really wanted me to continue on the horse, so um, that's the way it went. And uh, yeah, it was my first experience in in Melbourne in mm. that year in in eighty seven. Yep, Les Les, Les and Mister Purcell combined and give me the support, and I went down there. It was it was some experience. Yep, you rode him in the Mooney Valley Cup, ran fourth, uh, and that put him straight into the Melbourne Cup, and uh, on a day of high excitement. It was, and mate, the horse ran terrific too, Johnny. Didn't he it? only got beat probably two and a half lengths. Yeah, yeah, he didn't get beat that far, and uh, he gave me a great ride. And it, it was overwhelming to see Les and Larry win that race on that day, and to be there and experience that with them uh, is something that I'll always remember. Mm. I jumped over another race there, Craig, before he went to Melbourne for the Mooney Valley Cup. Uh, he and Kenzai both ran in the Metropolitan. Kenzai second, the Brotherhood third. Yep, yep, that's right. Now, 
What's the story about a telegram, a surprise telegram that arrived at Flemington Racecourse on Melbourne Cup Day and I think it was actually delivered to you in the jockey's room? It was, John. It was a, it was a real surprise. I got the telegram and when I opened it up, I was, you know, would have been in my silks and or not, not long, long, long before I went out to ride but it was from um, the principal at De La Salle College at Ashfield, where I went to school. Good in my yeah, mm. and uh, I remember thinking at the time, wow, it, it was only three three years ago that I was, you know, sitting with a group of schoolmates, you mm. know, um, in a, in a sweep, and here I was actually about to take a ride in it. So mm. it was a bit surreal, but uh, yeah, always remember that. I just looked up um, the result. Uh, of that 1987 Melbourne Cup, you finished officially seventh on the Brotherhood. He yep. was 3.3 lengths from the winner. Did you spot Larry Olsen getting up on the fence with Kenzai? Mate, I had my head down, but I, I saw the green. I saw the green colours, mm. green and red colours at the side of my peripheral vision, and um, <laughs> I, 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 I knew that um, he was going to be right in the finish. Yeah. He certainly yeah. was. I think he went around one horse, Kenzai. A, perf- uh, a perfect Olsen ride. Perfect Olsen ride, yep. You snared another Melbourne Cup ride seven years later on a Sydney horse called Gull Sovereign. Uh, I think he was trained by Kerry Parker, wasn't he, at Kembla? Yep, that's right, John. Kerry gave me the ride on him and I'm thankful for that. Um, and he showed a bit of pace too. He was in front at the winning post the first time and I think he started to give ground probably – Oh, about the 700-metre mark. It was a fairly true run race and, um, mm. yeah, he, he just wasn't at his best that, that day. But um, he's a very capable horse on his day. He won a St Ledger at Randwick, I think, ridden by yep. Gavin Eads, if memory serves me correctly. Yep, yep, I remember that too, John. He was a, he was a very handy horse. Now, you had three rides on an amazing little horse called Stylish Century. In 1989, when he was trained by Bart Cummings, Bart was one of several trainers to put the polish on Stylish Century during his racing career. Now, after an unplaced run in the George Main, that was your first ride on the little black horse, you led all the way to win the Spring Champion Stakes. Yeah, I remember riding him in that George Main Stakes and he was a little slow away. Um before getting into a reasonable spot and running a running a very good race, mm. and and Bart said, "Mate, you can ride him. You can ride him in the Spring Champion Stakes, but we'll take him to the barrier and we'll make sure he jumps out in Spring Champion Stakes Day." Mm. So we took him to the barrier and uh, we jumped him out, and uh, he jumped beautifully. And I was confident that he was going to jump well uh, on the big day. Mm. Um, but it was such a thrill to. Uh, to ride that horse, and I remember the speed that he was going from that mile turn to the thousand meter mark. I mm. thought, oh my goodness, he's he's going too quick, and they're mm. going to collar him, and it's going to end in tears. <laughs> but um, he he just accelerated once we straightened up and come up the rise, and away he went. He was he was some horse. Only a little fellow, wasn't he? With tiny feet, I remember. He was pony yeah. sized. He was. He wasn't a big horse, John, but had a, a mighty heart. Mm. You rode him one more time in the Caulfield Guineas, finished in the middle of the field. Yeah, it wasn't a great, wasn't a great day. Um, didn't 
he missed the start a little bit again and got it. He just wasn't the same horse unless he was free-rolling. He was a real mm. free-rolling horse, and when he was in amongst them, he just didn't have that same propensity. But um, mm. uh, it, it was it was not long after that, I think, uh, the horse was taken off Bart and given to uh, Billy Mitchell. Mm. Billy Mitchell trained him thereafter. You won three races in 1990, including the Summer Cup, on a horse called Magnolia Hall for a great lady, Helen Page, who's still going strong on the Gold Coast. Craig, the following year, the same horse ran third in Let's Elope's Melbourne Cup. Very talented horse, John, uh, owned by Evan Evan Sperling and his wife, Robin. Mm. And um, uh, it was a big thrill winning that race, uh, Summer Cup Day. Um, he led all the way. Uh, he was able to dictate terms and, um, yeah, Helen and John Page were thrilled and as was I because they'd been supportive through my apprenticeship years and, um, yeah, always loved catching up with Helen and John. We'll just pause for a break on the Craig Carmody podcast. When we come back, uh, we'll be in the final stretch and we're going to talk to Craig about two of the greatest horses he ever rode. One of them certainly was. Back with Craig Carmody after this break. With entries now closed for round two of the English Easter sale, a recent announcement by the New South Wales Health Minister couldn't be more timely. The government's commitment to relax restrictions on gatherings in public should be in place in time for Easter round two to be held on Sunday the 5th of July. If all goes according to plan, 100 people will be allowed inside the Riverside Auditorium with another 500 in the spacious area outside. The sale will cater for horses who were not entered for Easter Round 1 or those passed in during that online auction. And supplementary entries will strengthen the catalogue even further. Although the recent online auctions produce some stunning results, vendors and buyers will be anxious to return to the exciting atmosphere of the Riverside sale ring. A strapping grey filly came into your life in the early 1990s, destined to give you a brief, all too brief, but very exciting ride. Her name was Angst. Ten starts, seven wins. Mark Peters rode her in her first win. You were on board for all the others. You won a two-year-old race on her at Wyong, and then she was beaten by Acapulco Queen in the Wellington boot of all places. <laughs> yep, Any she excuses was. there? Oh, mate, I don't know whether you're familiar, but do you know what happened, John? Every gate opened bar angsts, and, she, yep, she was, she was probably two lengths last, there was a distinct delay with her gate opening. She come from last and she run second. It was a huge, huge run. Mm. Um, and and I remember because Noel and I are great mates still to this day. Uh, with, he, he was a great support of mine through my riding years mm. and he's also been a good good uh, ear to, to uh, lean on when I've had a problem with a horse over the years mm. that now I've been training. But... Noel, um, I remember saying to Noel after the, I come back into scale, uh, mate, I think we can get, get this um, a non-starter because it, uh, the gates didn't open. He said, don't be silly. It runs second. We get the prize money. He said, just don't say nothing. Don't say a word. Good logic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, so she, had a, she had a spell after that, Craig, and when she came back, 
She resumed on a woefully heavy track at Newcastle. She ran fourth and then she put together five dazzling wins. She won a Rose Hill three-year-old. She won the Silver Shadow. She won the Furious. And then the one that people still talk about, the T-Rose Stakes by five lengths. Did she feel as good as she looked? Oh, she was amazing. I remember you calling that day, John, too, and um, she she just uh, – th- I think that was one of the best wins. Mm. Um, she just accelerated so well, um, just a, a very talented filly and just was ahead of her time at, at that three-year-old year against the fillies. Mm. Um, but her, her win T-Rose Stakes Day always sticks out. Mm. Noel Mayfield-Smith sums that race up best of all when he says, watching her over the last 100 metres, it wasn't as though she was in a race. She looked like she was cantering down to the barrier. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> well summed up. Well yeah. summed up. Yeah, she was she was an athlete. I remember winning the flight stakes, John, and, um, you know, she was um, probably at a stretch at a mile. Mm. Um particularly in, with that sort of pressure. And she was up running or third or fourth. Um, she had a nice run in the race, but um, there was always a little query of her running out a strong 1,600 under that sort of pressure. Mm. Um, and I remember coming around the turn and she was giving me enough uh, to keep me encouraged. And um, she started pretty short that day. She was favourite. And um, being a group one, the pressure was on and um, – Thankfully, she dug deep to win. It was a, a terrific win, and um, it 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 uh, captivated that princess series for her. And um, mm. the owners were thrilled. And uh, it's it's something Noel and I'll never forget that ride with her. No, it was so exciting. Craig, goodness knows how far she would have gone, uh, but she spelled after the flight stakes. She came back and suddenly developed a breathing difficulty. And it was discovered she had polyps on the larynx. Mm. Now, they were surgically removed, and she appeared to be making a good recovery, Mm. but she took a turn for the worse during the night, and she died at the vet clinic. Mm, Tragic, John, tragic. Yeah, to to have it taken away from Noel and myself and and the owners who um, obviously were devastated at that news um, and and not being able to continue her career and also in the breeding barn, um, it was a real loss. We've seen many instances of smaller trainers who've risen to the occasion when a decent horse has come along. Who could have managed that filly better than Noel Mayfield-Smith? You know, Noel, Noel has been a great trainer in my mind for, for a long time. I, going back to when I was riding for Brian Mayfield-Smith in the Nebo Lodge days, mm. um, Noel was his foreman back then, and since he's branched out on his own, um, he has he has competed really well with the stock that he's had. Um, I can remember horses like In Top Swing that he's had. I think he won a Caulfield Guineas. Mm. Uh, let, let's Compromise. I won a Ken Russell Memorial Classic on him at the Gold Coast, mm. um, which was a, a great thrill for both of us. Mm. Um, and, and uh, yeah, he's continued to find a good horse. He's very, very good trainer. You got yourself on a Group 1 winner in April of 1994. 
winning an all-age stakes on a New Zealander called Prince of Praise for trainer Bruce Wallace. You were probably riding him work, were you, Craig, at that time? That's how you got on him. Bruce Wallace is a was a great friend of Jim and is a great friend of Jim and Greg Lee, ah. um, who who I rode for many years um, all through my my career. Mm. Jim and Greg have been great supporters, mm. and um, when Bruce often would bring his horses over, he'd stay at the Lee stable, yep. and that that introduction come through Jim and Greg Lee, and um, yeah, I ended up getting on Prince of Praise and. Um, yeah, we had a we had a fantastic day that day. I can remember it well. I have deliberately left until last a special tribute <laughs> to your once in a lifetime horse. You rode into gaze in thirty five of his forty nine starts. You rode him in ten of his twelve wins. You rode him in seven of his eight Group One wins. You won a two year old race on him at the end of nineteen ninety five. After which he was spelled. You rode him first up to run third in the kindergarten stakes in 1996 and you didn't ride him in a race again for exactly a year and there was a very unpleasant reason for that. Yeah, John, unfortunately, after I rode him in the kindergarten, um, it would have been a week later, a Sunday meeting at Rose Hill, I was in in a race there and approaching the 300 metre mark there was a shift from a horse on my inside um, who wasn't clear of my heels and the next thing I know, I woke up in Westmead Hospital mm. with a broken femur yeah. and, uh, yeah, I had a rod put down down it to stabilise the, the brake and uh, it took me 11 months to get over that. Um, but through that year, I missed I missed uh, intergazes t- basically all his, the remainder of his two-year-old year and his um his campaign in Melbourne as a as a three year old in the spring. Mm. And Glenn Boss won the Group One Champagne Stakes on him, which must have hurt a little bit. But you got well, ample it, consolation later. It it did. You know what? I was so pleased for the owners though, and and for Rod. Um, you know, you mentioned about how elusive these good horses are. I remember riding him uh, in his first first. Uh, barrier trial uh, at Warwick Farm and I said to Rod, mate, I think you got something pretty special. But um, Rod, Rod, I think, knew all, all about him uh, before I trialled him. He he, mm. he had a big opinion of the horse and um, his his first win was an outstanding one and he just um, – he, he never looked back. But um, when when I missed out on him that year, that, that spring – that spring of um, '96 yeah. in Melbourne, uh, he he won one race down there, um, but um, really uh, he he was still a little bit immature, although he ran really well. Mm. And I, I managed to get the ride on him when he when he returned. Yeah, well, he's probably best remembered for his defeat of Octagonal in the 1997 Queen Elizabeth Stakes. The occasion of Octagonal's farewell appearance. Huge crowd, huge anticipation that the big O would go out on a winning note. You must have felt slightly embarrassed when you spoiled the party. Yeah, absolutely not at all, John. I, I, I actually enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. It was an interesting story because uh, 
my my first win on him after I broke my leg was in the Canterbury Guineas held at Rose Hill that year over yeah. eighteen hundred, mm. and, and um, uh, I remember I remember beating Might. He ran past Might and Power that day to win that Guineas, and and he was then subsequently beaten in the Rose Hill Guineas. There was a fall at the thousand metre mark, which mm. changed the complexion of the race, and I went a little bit early, and I got beat a lip. Mm. And then he got he he ran a terrific race in the Derby after running third, but the pressure was building, and mm. I could I could feel it amongst you know uh, everyone involved that we needed to win yeah. at Queen Elizabeth Stakes. And um, to the horse's credit, he he ran a he ran a mighty race, and um, he as you say beat Octagonal mm. and all our mob. Did you have any plan to uh, usurp Octagonal, or was it just the way it turned out? He was always behind me. I I had a better gait, and I ended up in a in a in a lovely spot, running about fifth. And uh, I had octagonal behind me, uh, stalking me. Mm. Um, I knew he was behind me, so um, at the at or would have been not long after the eight hundred, mm. I come out from where I was, um, just to let Shane know that I wasn't um, going to get locked into a pocket. But when I come out, I didn't go. I just sort of uh, stalled for another furlong and a half. Mm. And um, he elected to just sit behind me and wait, mm. um, which was, um, you know, worked out worked out being really good for me because at the top of the top of the rise, uh, I don't think Shane anticipated Indigay sprinting like he did. Or well, couldn't he we- let down, Craig? Oh, couldn't he Johnny, let down? Strike me, he- Pinky had a turn of foot. And he come up that hill, John. With, with I, I had a lap full of horse. I knew he he had it in him to to let down. And mm. if I could capture that moment in a bottle, I'd, I, <laughs> I'd, I'd mate. It was just something. I'd prefer a Chardonnay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, by an amazing twist of fate, Rod Craig wasn't there the day he beat Octagonal. He was attending his daughter's wedding. And yep. he actually heard the broadcast on a car radio. I'll yeah. bet Rod was the first person you thought of when you went past the post. Yeah, absolutely. Rod not being there, um, you know, I, I had I had thoughts about the wedding because unfortunately I couldn't go to the ceremony because of obvious reasons. But mm. um, John Thompson, the great trainer at Ramwick now, um, he married Nicole, his daughter, that day. Mm. And um, Rod was naturally at the wedding um, and I, I – I've heard the stories about the the radio on in the car and the celebrations after it. So it, it made for a magic day. I joined them for the reception held at Canterbury Racecourse uh, in the function room up there mm. after the race. And I remember walking in, you know, to uh, a rousing to the applause. cheer. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a it was a, a it certainly didn't take away the no. the wonderful day that John and Nicole had. But um, it was a it was a memorable night. Did you get a standing ovation? Uh, I don't think I've got a standing ovation, mate. I think Nicole would have slapped them all down. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me run through the other six Group 1 wins on Intergaze. A Canterbury Guineas, All yep. Age Stakes, another yep. Queen Elizabeth in 99, yep. a Doombin Cup, an Underwood Stakes, and the Australian Cup. Now, which of your seven Group 1 wins on Intergaze do you believe was his best performance? Oh, uh, John, I think I think um, you know the 
the Australian Cup win was his biggest win. Um, I, I think it was the most one of the most significant because he was getting towards the end of it. Um, you know, he was he was still performing really well, uh, but his his effort to win that day under extreme pressure because he he'd over raced from a bad barrier and uh, oh, he he led by probably four or five lengths mm. going going past the 1200 meter mark yeah. and I thought oh no this this is gonna again end in tears but mm. um, much to my my relief he managed to rally under extreme pressure and hold them off mm. and um, I, I think that was one of his gutsiest wins yeah. probably not not his most brilliant but it was definitely one of his most gutsy he wasn't entitled to win that day was he Mate, he he wasn't he wasn't, but mm. um, you know his his win his win in the in both Queen Elizabeth Stakes um you know were, were outstanding and his win in the Doomben Cup he was three wide the entire mm. um he he drew very badly he never got in and he just careered away at the end um it, it was a great effort. Another classic case of what a smaller trainer can do with a good horse. I mean, put it into perspective. Rod Craig won eight Group Ones with Intergaze. Eight. Yeah, Astonishing. you really got to. Yeah, it, it is, John. I mean, it really comes to mind since I've been training and I'm trying to win a race at Kembla Grange and the odd odd midweeker with mm. with. You know, uh, moderately bred stuff to to get your hands on a horse such as Intergaze is a rare thing. If you if you manage to ride one or train one in your lifetime, you should consider yourself like I do, very lucky and very privileged. Craig Carmody, you were the consummate professional in a twenty year career as a jockey. And I can tell you, you've already established the same reputation as a trainer. You got to ride a unique horse in Intergaze, and I hope you get to train a unique horse one day. You thoroughly deserve it. Thanks a lot, John. It's lovely to spend some time with you. Great to talk to you on the podcast. And this podcast, of course, was produced by Supernova Sound. (laughs) 